So I would just get texts oh my God. all the time. <laughs> it's midnight, I'm in Soho, where should I go? I'd be like, uh, why don't you look at that site I built? <laughs> yeah. And look, when we sold it, it was one in six Londoners a month were using it, which is crazy. What? Nick founded the business Design My Night, which I'm sure if in the UK you've heard of and used, is the equivalent of timeout. He scaled that business from literally zero to a large exit, which we'll be talking about. And then they came back and said, look, this is the final bid. Take it or leave it. Uh, our lawyer phoned us and said, okay, it's go time. So wow. can you get to their lawyer's office? And then they had a whole floor for us, which was quite cool. Like we were in one room, the acquirers in the other. The lawyers were still... Oh, it's like the movie scenes. It was pretty cool. Wow. I want to ask you two questions, actually. First is how you figured out what that number is that mm -hmm. you wanted to try and achieve mm -hmm. when you sold. Okay, if you're never going to earn any money again, this is when it runs out or it doesn't run out. We just charted back mm. from that lifestyle and it did get to actually a similar-ish number. What was that number? Welcome to Happy Millionaire, a show about how to make profit with a positive impact and stay happy along the way. Today's topic is about exiting your company and also finding your passion. We're going to talk about pivoting a business into SaaS, dealing with copycat competition, how much money is enough, plus creating time in a busy schedule. Nick founded the business Design My Night, which I'm sure if in the UK you've heard of and used, is the equivalent of timeout. And basically, he scaled that business from literally zero to a large exit, which we'll be talking about. Um, he's also invested in nearly 50 different startups, companies that we've all heard of. At the same time, he also creates his own companies and has his own podcasts. Nick also shares how he came up with his magic number and how much money he needs to live his lifestyle. Plus, we also talk about how Nick's sale almost fell through in the last couple of hours of the exit. All right, so the first place I want to start is Design My Night, right? How did that idea come about? So it was a copycat, sort of. Andrew, my co-founder, and I were in New York and we just were really drunk on a night out in a place called... A place You're not called, holding back today. A place, to be honest, there's a place called Benny's Burritos and they do really strong frozen margaritas. So we don't really remember like who came up with the idea or how it formulated. But for that night out, we saw a website that was promoted around drinks offers, which is bigger in America than yeah. it is here. We've got happy hours. And we were just like, oh, wouldn't it be good to do something like that in London? And all the price comparison sites were launching at that time. We were like, maybe we can do a price comparison site because London, obviously, you've got big ranges. And then, yeah, we just started researching it and realized Time Out can never sort of do digital well. They still sort of haven't nailed it. So we were like, okay, well, maybe we can disrupt yeah. it, make it for millennials, digital first, which sounds crazy, but it was 2010. Uh, and that's how the seed came. Do you know what's so funny, right? Because I used to use Design My Night all the time and I still do. It's great. So I always thought the guy who built Design My Night must be the most party animal, crazy <laughs> wild person. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> and then you met this loser. <laughs> 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 I was like, so did you scat a lot like, when you were Not young? Not really. No? Okay. Like, actually, I wasn't a party animal. And uh, your co-founder? He was a bit more of a okay. party animal. Okay. Uh, I think uni we partied quite a lot, obviously. Okay. So you uh, went uni together, right? Yeah, yeah, we okay. met week one at university. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, that's awesome. I sort of now am mourning at the moment. I just went to Ibiza a few weeks weekends ago because I'm mourning the loss of like my mid-20s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I, I want to go and have that fun now. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, we were just head down, didn't go out. Uh, the team were going out on reviews and stuff, but not us two, so. This wasn't an ordinary like startup you see on you know, on TechCrunch where it goes from like, you know, one to a billion in like, you know, this was an this was a very well run operation, right? You guys ran it so well for ten years. 
it felt like it was a very tough journey. Mm -hmm. Like, could you have done it when you reflect back? How could you have been maybe happier in that journey? Because I know you always say it's, it was really hard on me, Jay. Yeah. It, look, we only ever raised half a million. So we ran it very leanly. We didn't hire like superstars because we couldn't afford those salaries. So we hired junior and uh, built them up in the company, worked very hard on growing them in our mold, which works amazingly because then all of our managers had been working with us for years. I think the biggest mistake we made, which would have made us happier, was we were so involved until the end and our acquirer's access. That's one of the things they said when they acquired us. They were like, wow, like you've got 100, 120 people and you you guys are just so involved in everything mm. like as as a negative they mm. were like this is not good because you're not going to be in this business forever so the next 2 years on our earn out you guys need to like untangle yourself from the weeds of mm. of everything and that was distress so you know we were still looking at customer complaints on the saas side and the b2c side we were essentially the project manager uh, the product managers and we had three saas products um we were managing the team. We didn't have HR. So, you know, with 100, 120 people every day, there's something. Wow, no HR. No HR. No HR at all. It's wow. us two. And they're all going out, getting drunk. Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. I'd hate I to know some of the stories. Story. Yeah. Like, I, I had some crazy things happen in my startup. So, like, I don't even want to know what happened in your Yeah, house. I think it would be an uncensored version. <laughs> That's another of this episode. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Imagine the excuses on Monday morning. Like, you sent me out to review these <laughs> yeah. bars all weekend. You gave us free drinks. What do you expect? <laughs> uh, yeah, there was some, quite a few stories, actually. So yeah, I think we just took a lot on. You were 25. How did you know even how to lead? And you were like teaching, you know, the the, the younger guys coming in uh, about how to become managers themselves. Like wh where were you getting your information from? Yeah, it's a fair question. We did have a couple of advisors that um, actually became our investors. So they were advisors first and then invested. One of them was the head of entrepreneurship at London Business School. Oh, right. So he was a big help. Are those guys any good? Because like, you know, when they're like studying, <laughs> I always find like, you don't, you're not actually in... It's, in the trenches it's like true so he was very like by the book yeah like we were away with the fairies but okay, he fair. always sort of grounded us and then we we met Shook in the middle guys. wake up guys yeah, yeah, yeah like what are you doing and we were man we were young but we i'd worked at l'oreal straight out of uni uh, and, and i worked my way up to marketing manager quite quickly there right so i had a team there andrew was accenture so you know he had to sort of know how to conduct himself gotcha. yeah, um yeah. so I, I you know i think we could have been a lot better but I think we just went in with just respect we part of the team we almost wanted to be everyone's big brother mm. which I think was part of the problem mm. but we were just like look we're there for you we want to help you grow you can tell us anything um let, let's see what happens that was sort of our mantra yeah I've always wanted to know like what's it like having a website that literally millions of people are going to every day because like for one's ego it must be pretty incredible it's like oh yeah literally all my friends it's nightlife is based around like what I've built that's pretty cool like what was that feeling like I think in the earlier years when it was smaller but growing fast it was more exciting we're like oh wow there's 10,000 on it there's mm. 20,000 on it ironically our friends would still text us so I would just get texts oh my God. all the time. It's midnight, I'm in Soho, where should I go? I'd be like, uh, why don't you look at that site I built? Yeah. And look, when we sold it, it was one in six Londoners a month were using it, which is crazy. What? Um, one in six Londoners? So, That's incredible. You know, it's a big, it became a big, big site. It's still very popular now. Yeah. It's still yeah. super popular, yeah. From what I get, I'm not involved with it at all now. But yeah, uh, you know, obviously post-COVID, it's, it's sort of come back again. Yeah. Um, it was SEO, so the beauty of SEO is it sort of never goes away. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, the traffic's just constant. 
You must have loads of copycats though, surely during that time. Must have seen like Design My Night, like, oh yeah, we can do that better, or we can just we can take a niche or whatever. Yeah, there was a lot, and th- they sort of made noise, which was frustrating. But we knew in the long run they didn't have a viable business. So it was when we pivoted to SaaS, yeah, that we sort of killed that market. So like mm. software for the software for, the for the hospitality, yeah, yeah. and then that created our flywheel with the B2C creating uh, a viable big business just as a discovery platform that timeout have tried to figure out yeah it's, it's just not possible so you, yeah you just become this content platform which just becomes really hard to monetize um so we saw yeah like three or four make a lot of noise you know they were the cool kids on the block we just kept our head down we were like we just know they won't last yeah and we became sort of like the big ugly brother um we weren't you know we weren't even trying to be cool but we were like we just know we've covered the whole market discipline right it was just you guys are disciplined yeah super disciplined we didn't go to like founder meetups uh even though our office was in shoreditch like we didn't go to like silicon roundabout stuff my head you know i wasn't posting on linkedin while i was at design man i was very we were both very like head down founders we know what we need to do this business is working it can be extremely profitable let's mm. just get it done i was a bit like you and Unify. that's exactly how i did i was just head down didn't really go to these founder events and you'd get invitations to them i just i knew it was just about executing right yeah. it feels like you were on the same journey it was just about head down executing and i'm curious actually why didn't time out buy you guys it couldn't afford us oh is that what happened yeah oh, really yeah. Well, i don't want to slag off time out but <laughs> they haven't got that much and well nowhere near enough money to pay for design my night so what was the process like on the exit because you know i've I love the fact that you're so open about it, right? Um, you know, and not many founders get the opportunity to actually have an exit. So, yeah, what was that process like? Um, I'd love to know that process, but also what I'm really intrigued to know is once that money got wired, like what happened emotionally? Because <laughs> yeah. I know we've had chats about it, but yeah, why don't you tell us a bit more about like that experience of selling the company? So we engaged a broker about eight months out from when we thought that our revenue in EBIT would be in a position to get the multiple that we wanted to get the amount of cash that Andrew and I wanted. So you had a magic number? Had a magic number. Luckily, we were both pretty aligned on that. And we just looked at similar multiples in the industry. Um, we were we were running at like 48% EBITDA margin as well. Oh, so wow. we were sort of spitting out cash at that stage. <laughs> That's like a slot machine. Like a cash machine, ATM. What was your revenue? Uh, we were doing around, God, what were we doing? We are doing about, when we sold it, about four or five million. Okay. And the, your, your, uh, you talked about this already, but the software was the real unlock for you guys. We had that recurring monthly revenue, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the software for us, not only was it the recurring revenue that was very scalable, and especially in the UK, you've got a lot of groups. Mm. So, you know, you could sign up a Young's, pubs, yeah. you know, that's a hundred grand contract. Yeah. And, you know, so there was quite a lot of almost enterprise contracts yeah. in hospitality. Uh, so we knew we just had to sort of nail a couple of groups a year, plus mm. just sign up loads of smaller ones. Mm. So we, we could model Design My Night pretty accurately like it's quite crazy how we forecasted it pretty close and then we engaged a broker we spent probably about four months with them doing the im it was quite a complicated business so the the booking software was a SaaS it's quite fee. a big memo then investment memo it's quite a big one yeah it was a big okay. one and because we had design my night so the b2c army had to explain how that worked and the mm. revenue levers there we had a booking software which was just monthly SaaS. we mm. had a ticketing software which was a clip on the ticket and then we had a vouchering software, which was a percentage fee. So we had all these different revenue models, all growing at different sizes, all at different stages. So trying to get that across in an IM was quite difficult. So so our broker 
had to work really closely with us, sort of remodeled the business with us, really understood it. And yeah, we went back and forth on the IM for ages, got it done. Yeah, it was probably about 100 slides in the wow. end. Um, wow. And, and how many bidders were interested in? So what was like... So then he did like a closed... So he said, look, first we're going to just go out and not say it's design by night um, and actually not go to your closest competitors who ironically would probably be the people that would buy you. Um, and we got some nibbles, but nothing concrete. And then he said, "Okay, let's 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 do the the proper um, funding now, the the round, and go out and spoke to all of our competitors, you know, mm. Booking dot com, Open Table, TripAdvisor, Eventbrite, etc." And we had about three concrete offers on the table. Oh, at the excellent! End. Um, and obviously, that process is long. Yeah. So they see the they and they hit your magic number. They went over the magic number, oh, wow. which was good. Uh, we actually rejected our acquirer's bid three times. And then they came back and said, look, this is the final bid. Take it or leave it. And it was funny because there was two much bigger players who were interested. One American, one Japanese, actually. And our broker said to us, look, a deal can fall through at any time. Mm. This offer from Access, like we know them. They're sort of acquiring monsters. Like they will get it done quickly. They won't do lots of due diligence. They've got the cash. They're offering more than you want. So do you want to get greedy and wait for the the two other players who might offer you quite significantly more, but it might fall through at any time. So he sort of grounded us and was like, look, this is more than you want and the mm. deal will get done quickly. It was a favorable earnout as well. Mm. So just take the deal. So the deal got done pretty quickly. Um, got it done in about four weeks from accepting the offer. It nearly fell through on the last day. What? Yeah. Uh, we were meant to sign at 8 a.m., 9 a.m. And we signed at about 6, 7 p.m. Um, what, what happened? What, there was yeah. a new EU financial regulation that came out. Oh, P God, P classic P government. <laughs> <laughs> classic. Um, and our lawyer phoned us up that morning. Uh, I literally remember where I was sat in my flat when I took that call and he was like, this is in your small flat, right? This, this is, the, this this is pretty, the yeah, this was the a very small flat in State Newington. <laughs> yeah. um, and they were like, have you heard of P PD, PTDS2, PTS2, whatever. I don't even know what it's called. I blanked it out. Yeah. Um, and we were like, no. He was like, okay, well, the acquirers want to know how you're going to deal with it. And we were like, well, we don't even know what it is. So Stripe handled all our payments at that time. And we were putting hundreds of millions of pounds through Stripe. And right. we were one of their first big customers. So yeah. we, they, they looked after us really well. And yeah, we spoke to our account manager. And he was like, we couldn't tell him we were getting acquired either. So we were like, look, we need to get you on a call. This is important, but yeah. I can't tell you I why. Can't tell you why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were like, oh, all of our investors are on the call and our chairman and stuff. So can you... Um, you know, just explain this, this regulation. Like 22-year-old account manager yeah, on the course. Like, <laughs> he <laughs> earned his money, he earned his salary that, <laughs> yeah, that did, day, I'll yeah. tell you that. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, he, he did it. They, they asked him questions. He replied, put the phone down, didn't hear anything for a few hours. And then the, the, our lawyer phoned us and said, okay, it's go time. So wow. can you get to their lawyer's office in, in the city? And then they had a whole floor for us, which was quite cool. Like we were in one room, the acquirers in the other. The lawyers were still. Oh, is that the movie scene? It was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. But the lawyers were still going at each other. So we were like, how is this not done yet? Like, so they were they still. They need to make some more money, right? Yeah. They need to make yeah. some more money, the lawyers. They did they're all right. right. An extra hour is a thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah, 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 they do. No, they do. Just, just throw I some love you, lawyers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just discussing what they're doing on the weekend, probably. Um, <laughs> And then that went on for like an hour 
Um, and then uh, the head of M&A came into our room and were like, okay, it's done, we're ready to go. And then we did the signing. So how long was it until you signed that? And obviously in a payout, you're not going to get all the money. So how long did it take until, because you had due diligence, it's probably what, two months? How long was it um, until the money was wired? After signing the deal, I think we got the money like the week later, mm. but we got about 60%. So it was 60% up front, 40% earn out. But we had to go back on Monday and do our, our earn out for two years. So actually... Andrew and I were sort of elated, but at the same time, like, oh, we need to, we're back in the office on Monday yeah. to go. So I don't think it really hit us until the end of the actual earnout that we were like fully done. So th- was there always something in the back of your mind looming, like, you know, if we don't hit these targets, we're not going to get our earnout? Was that? Yeah. And that was, you know, we, we became really, it was a revenue target as well. So we just became incredibly focused mm. on what's going to drive us revenue. Right. Yeah. So we actually sort of flipped the strategy, which isn't great for the acquirer. Um, but we were just like, you know, when ideas were coming up, we were like, that's not going to make us enough revenue in enough time. We're not doing it. Right. So everything we were looking to build or invest in or hire was Mm. only things that were going to drive revenue Mm. Um, fortunately for us um, we integrated with um, Google bookings Ah. that year and I'd be on them for years so when you Google a restaurant it just says book now that was just an apps I cannot tell you like so we were doing I don't know hundreds of thousands of bookings a year through design my night the first night so we turned it on at night because we were like well let's just see if it works and doesn't break Mm. so we I was up my CTO was up Andrew was up I think that night they did something like 5,000 bookings. Wow. <laughs> like, un- Change the game. We, and we had to sort of be like, well, shit, because we charge per cover for our, our bars and restaurants. Suddenly their bill is going to be like yeah. 500 pounds a month to like five grand a month. Yeah. So yeah. we just had to just think, okay, let's even let's just reduce that by 80%. Yeah. Can we slip it in and just slip it in? Cause that will get us to our target. Um, rather than them saying, no, I don't want to take bookings yeah. from you yeah, anymore. Totally. So, so, so it was almost too good. And I think Google are going to own that space. So I, I think in the next five years, you won't really have discovery sites. I think it will all really? be done by Google. Yeah. So uh, the likes of open table and booking.com and all these, I think it will still be all their software that's powering it. Uh-huh. Um, so they need the SAS, but I just think people will Google. They already, are like yeah. bars near me yeah, bars in totally. soho best yeah. bars in soho yeah the map comes up reviews pictures menus bookings so i think they're going to own that space so fast forward two years you've you've done your two year, i don't know how you did that i could never work <laughs> yeah. for a corporate business i'm sorry corporate companies you're never gonna be able to hire me no way in hell i don't know how you did it um but you did two years of that you're now free right mm-hmm. you're free you've um your bank account's looking really healthy. You've got your calendars now empty, technically, mm-hmm. because you don't have anything. So, like, in that period, like, what were the things that you decided, like, these are the things I want to focus on in this next chapter of my life? Like, and how did you, like, what was that journey like? That was, like, the toughest journey. I knew I wanted to do languages at uni. I did it, uh, and I did, I got two one, did fine, loved it. Uh, I wanted to do marketing. L'Oreal was one of the big marketing schemes then. Got it. Went up to marketing manager. Wanted to do my own startup. Started it. Designed my night. 10 years, non-stop. Mm. Succeeded. And I'd never thought on that journey, like, what do I actually want in life? Like, the whole, like, ikigai, mm. purpose, happiness. I just thought I was happy. And I was happy. But, you know, I was just going from day to day trying to win, basically. So when you like wake up that day and you're like, I could technically do nothing for the rest of my life and be fine financially, it was really tough. 
yeah, it was the first sort of depression I felt for like a good week where I was just, I was just really struggled to motivate myself, just asking myself deep questions that maybe I shouldn't have put off. But I was like, well, what does make me happy? Like, what do I want to do day to day? Like, what does bring me purpose? Um, so just sort of reflecting for the first time on those sort of questions, which I never had done because I was so business minded. So yeah, that was a really, really tough week. You've just worked literally your arse off for the mm -hmm. last 10 years. So you yeah. probably don't want to work that hard, <laughs> yeah. but you also want to keep, do something that's meaningful, right? Yeah. So that's that balance, right? Yeah. So I'm assuming those messages came and like, what then did you do then? So what were the... Well, so was it was COVID. Again? So we exited Jan 2020. Oh, great timing. Uh, so, <laughs> you great know. timing. I stepped down as CEO um, in Feb 2020. Okay. And oh, that's wow. when I had my moment as well. So technically, if we had hung out, we <laughs> both be could fine. have been depressed together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Through a window. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm actually, believe it or not, quite an insular person. Mm. So I actually thrived in COVID. Um, I was, I'm more than happy to sort of be a hermit. Um, so the guy built Design by Night was I a know, hermit. Yeah, <laughs> was I'm a hermit. <laughs> an insular, crazy, introverted it? hermit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did want to go traveling and stuff, yeah. so you couldn't do that. But it was good to just, yeah, to think, okay, well, maybe let's accelerate what I was going to do. Let's just do it now. Mm. Um, which was for us uh, accelerating our angel investing, setting up horseplay ventures. Um, we wanted to do a sort of studio model and uh, ideate on businesses and build those and build brands. I had my podcast, which you, I could still do during lockdown remotely. So it's sort of throwing myself into those different areas. But the things we were thinking about, when I say we in this instance, not my other half, but me and Andrew, my business other half, we were like, well, what do we love doing? And And actually, we love building businesses like... I, I get a thrill out of building brands and marketing and selling it and revenue coming in. Um, what didn't we like was building a team, managing a team, managing an office, managing the crap that comes with that every day. So we were like, well, you know, if we can do an almost like studio model where we can build the brand, ideate it, throw it out there, bring in a CEO to actually run the day to day and we can do the stuff we like, marketing brand product then that's sort of the best of both worlds. So yeah, we just had a lot of fun throwing around ideas, trying to see ones that stick. And yeah, lucky we had a couple and then we just started building those out during lockdown. I, I want to ask you two questions actually. First is how you figured out what that number is that mm -hmm. you wanted to try and achieve mm -hmm. when you sold. And the second thing is... question. No one's ever asked me that question. Oh, okay. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I can imagine the way I thought about it is just looking backwards, like looking at the principal and how much my monthly spend is and what a you know fat lifestyle looks like for me, uh, security, all those different elements, right? You can just really hash it out. And the other thing is um, during that period of depression, low mood or lack of clarity of the, the future, I wonder how you sort of like whiteboarded that and, and how you actually sort of came to determine what your purpose is. And maybe it's like an ever-flowing, you know, process where your purpose changes from year to year. Um, so why don't we start off with the, the first one? The money. The money. The money. Yeah. <laughs> the money. Yeah. I mean, you're not far off. So, so it was actually speaking to an IFA and she said, what I want you to do is write down a spreadsheet of all your monthly costs which i'd never done before in my life and it's quite scary when you do that like yeah everything she was like everything you spend even you're thinking in the future so if you want kids and like so th this was like where are you now yeah and then she had another tab which is 
what does a great lifestyle look like to you? How much do you want to spend? So, you know, if you're spending two grand a year on holidays, okay, if you want to fly business and stay five star, you might be spending 20 grand a year on holidays. And then there was a section for like, what big things have you got coming? So you're going to have a wedding. Do you need to buy a car? Um, all, all things like that. Mm. So A, it makes you think like holistic, okay, well, what do I want? Yeah. What is a great lifestyle? Um, and putting in property and all of that um, and literally summing that all up uh, within reason. And then what she did was plotted that from my net wealth and just put that into a chart and was yeah. like, okay, if you're never going to earn any money again, this is when it runs out or it doesn't run out. So great. Andrew has three kids, um, so his runs out way quicker than mine <laughs> runs out. Um, so, and and then and then we started putting in, and then she was like, "Okay, you know, let's look at diversifying. Like, if you're going to diversify, are you going to buy some property? Yes. Okay, let's put some sample property in and mm. see how much money that makes. Wow, this is really detailed. And just started yeah. like plotting out. It was a great exercise. Yeah, what your net wealth looks like. And look, Andrew and I both knew that that wasn't going to be it anyway. So even if it never ran out, Andrew yeah. and I knew, well, we were confident in our angel investing. We were confident that we were going to go again and build something bigger anyway. Mm. So we just charted back mm. from that lifestyle and it did get to actually a similar-ish number. Um, That's epic. Which was quite lucky. What was their number? I've never really said how much I took, but let's just say we were like, if we can get anywhere between sort of six and nine, okay, mm. that's enough to live a lovely life. It's quite lifestyle. the common number, right? I think I, everyone, I think so, yeah. the classic number is $10 million, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It's the classic, it's the ones that you've read. And because if you think about it, you're going to put probably a few million to go invest and mm -hmm. that will become your income. You want to probably buy a property, which is going to be X million. Mm -hmm. And... You might also want to have some play money for your investing and then some you just want to hide underneath the sofa, right? Yeah. So 10 is a classic number that um, people say. I just wanted to get financially free and yeah. then never chase money. Yeah, I know that the lifestyle I've got now, I could die happy living if I can make more and do some really cool stuff with it and, and help family and friends uh, more than I have done, then that's also awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really important mindset not to get in because then you'll just never be happy if you're 100%. just chasing what's what's about. Yeah, if you can't get to that enough level, then you know, it, it, you, you're always gonna be chasing the next win, the next high and stuff. And that's why I wanted to ask about the purpose exercise, mm -hmm. actually how you came to that. Because I think if people can dial into that now, early, mm -hmm. then wh wherever they get to, where that security point is, they'll be content, they'll be happy. Yeah. Um, it's something I, I feel like I've sort of already figured out myself in terms okay. of I'm fairly frugal and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, it's something to do before you sort of reach those those goals. So what was that like for yeah, you? Yeah, so I did a lot. So what I do is I sort of talk out loud to myself. Yeah. So I think oh, uh, uh, oh, whenever I'm feeling a bit stressed or anxious, that's how I deal with it. So I have conversations it's with quite myself. quite a friendly dialogue. Are you quite aggressive with yourself? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. Because you're, you're a very driven person, right? Yeah. And I can imagine... It's like, come on, do more, do more. So was it like, how's that dialogue? Yeah, I think it's quite, um, it's just sort of conversational. Okay, that's good. And and I, I'm pretty sure I'm a bit ADHD as well. I've never been tested, but I've got quite a lot of the traits. And one of the big things they say if you've got ADHD is get it out of your head and write it down. Uh -huh. So I do write a lot. I don't journal or anything, but I write. I've got a notebook with me most of the time and I, I, I like writing down notes rather than on my phone. So I'm, I'm always writing down stuff like ideas, things to do, something that pops into my head. 
But then I do that with my thoughts as well. Because I feel like if you just keep it in your head and you're talking to yourself in your head, you're not really yeah, dealing with it. Yeah, exactly. I totally mm. agree. So I'm like, if I can actually just have a conversation with myself out loud, whether even on a walk or in the garden or whatever, it's a good way to, to get my thoughts and feelings out. So I was doing that a lot. Um, and, and I was just looking at areas like what brings me excitement? What, what would get me out of bed in the morning? Um, what would help me bring joy day to day to my life and to my like friends and family how can I help others so I was like trying to just deal with all these different themes but at the same time not I'm, I'm a big believer in not overthinking stuff mm. and I see this in the founder community a lot and there's a lot of talk around mental health which is great and yeah. we never had that when I started and it's really important to recognize mental health but they've almost created their own bubble of fuck this is really difficult yeah yeah and then if you just stay in that echo chamber yeah. of talking about bad mental health yeah you almost talk yourself into having bad mental health yeah. i think um it's so funny i was i was in this um dinner with a bunch of um as actually on a vc dinner uh so loads of venture capitalists and um they said it was the era of like 2010 2013 or 14 some of the greatest founders were came out of europe because mm -hmm. they were just this hustle they believed in themselves and like obviously you and me are in that whereas like there's sometimes this new newer cohort they're just not that hustle vibe or that drive to execute they're just missing yeah and it's um, hard like there, there's no way you can you can say you're going to meditate and all of that which is i think really important but it comes down to you are going to have to work your ass off to yeah. succeed it's just a fact like you can't you can't get around that what about now then so right now are you working your ass off right now yeah I, th I, I, I tell you what i am doing i'm working a lot more purposefully now yeah i'm going to interrupt this for just one second me and jay love seeing your reviews but we wanted to go a step further and let you have the chance to ask us some questions on the pod right here if you go to happymillionaire.club there's a microphone in the bottom right corner click that Tell us who you are and ask for anything you like. The best ones will be played on the show in a couple of months. Let's see what you've got. So I'm I'm splitting up my time a lot better. Um, I'm saying no to a lot more things. And when I am working, because I'm not managing the team, I'm can I can be a lot more effective. So now I I don't book any meetings before half ten eleven. That's me time. So I'll you do that as well. As well. As yeah. There you go. Yeah, good time. Um, and I think it, we had a chat about a few things. Yeah, I think we, we did. Got a lot of alignment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, voice notes only. When people want a message, I say voice notes only. <laughs> yeah, I do like voice notes. Yeah. Or they're like, can I hop on a twenty minute call? I'm like, no. no. I don't want to see blocks in my diary when I open up yeah. my diary. It's not going to be a twenty minute call either. So why don't you send me a voice note and I'll get back to you when I can and I will get back to you. And then it's yeah, just just booking out chunks of my day to be really purposeful and so far with all the different things i'm juggling i'm like really busy but not stressed and that feels quite good yeah you think you're doing less hours of work now yeah okay, definitely definitely because you know what's really interesting a lot of people ask me and like weirdly nick and me have got a very similar sort of setup right we both have our fund we invest we involved in companies we have our podcast so we're both very very similar yeah. and i actually find now in this new phase of my life, I'm getting even more opportunities, more people coming to me. Like, so people think, oh, I made my money or, you know, I've now done my success. I can chill and relax. But actually, the intensity of people come, it's like three, five X more. Yeah. You I'm, might, I'm sure you notice that as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, but it's also sort of up to you on basically what you want to do next and, and how you want to interact with people. Um, 
Like you can't be everything to everyone at all times. But I thrive on being busy. So mm. like I actually enjoy being busy, but I want to be being busy on my own terms yeah, yeah. and not stressed busy. I allow myself to make that conscious effort where I think before it designed my night, it was just, mm. you never even stopped to think. But yeah, I think it, it is, it's not taking on too much. So like we've got trumpet, we ideated on another one that we're going to be a lot less involved in. Well, let's talk about trumpet first. Yeah, let's talk about trumpet because I think I've got your customer. Okay, nice. <laughs> Pitched up. So it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. like, wow, that's awesome. Now, why you, in, in like 30, 40 seconds, why don't you describe what it does? So what we tried to do with Trumpet was redo the whole buyer journey from cold outreach to onboarding. Uh-huh. So in sales, you've got LinkedIn Navigator, outreach tools, all of those. You've got CRM on the other side. But then in the middle, you've just got sales decks, yep. slides, videos, Loom videos, 50 emails I think on average it's 80 emails to close a whole deal um, and we were like it just hasn't been digitised there's not there's nothing there at all so I don't think I've, I've said this before but the idea was originally called loop and it was for pitch decks mm. so what they are they're basically personalised microsites so no code microsites uh-huh. that you can create a beautiful looking hyper personalised microsite in minutes without any design. So almost like a, a Canva for yeah. salespeople. Gotcha. And then you can interact with your buyer in the microsite to get the deal done. It's all centralized. Uh, it's all got notifications running through it. It's integrated to your whole sales stack. But the original idea was, well, sales decks for investment are crap, PDFs, you know, for something where you're meant to be like showing off your vision. Yeah. Uh, it's a very flat, 30-year-old tool to to, to use. So we were like, ah, maybe we could do these microsites. And then you could update your investors in the microsites every every month as well. But then we were just like, oh, the market probably isn't as big as you'd think it is. You know, when you're in the founder bubble, you think there's loads of startups, but in the grand scheme of things, there's not. And then we thought sales, which is obviously a huge, huge space. Um, So that's when we pivoted to to Trumpet and the the sales area. But Andrew and I said, if we're going to do another business, it has to be product-led growth. Mm -hmm. It has to be instantly global, instantly scalable and self-serve. So those are sort of the tick boxes we wanted. Whereas Design My Night was very heavy. It was content. It was three SaaS. Hospitality is a pain in the ass. It wasn't very instantly scalable at all. And then when we pivoted the idea from Loop to Trumpet, it was. Yeah. And we were like, wow, mm. okay, this this has huge potential. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's a cool name as well, right? Yeah. It's quite bold. So, you know, like, because we, we create companies and it's always, I've, I was very fascinated how you came up with the name Trumpet because I normally go for a classic. My method is normally I get two syllables yeah. and I combine yeah, the I words. So, screen that. loop, reach, desk. Yeah. Yeah. If I was a bit of an odd one, I was very young. <laughs> I was wearing this bathrobe. I thought I was the man. You know, like the word yield for whatever. And I thought, I fight. Yeah, yeah. But, anywho's. Um, that was yeah. quite fashionable back then, like adding yeah, yeah, FY exactly. on exactly. Yeah, Spotify. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Spotify was after me. So, yeah. I'm going to claim that one. Because you don't own trumpet.com the domain but no. you did like get trumpet sendtrumpet.com yeah. and when you register it what's the name of the company then and and also now you've got this word trumpet which you're never going to win on the SEO yeah like, so yeah what was the reasoning we wanted to bring a B2C brand element to a B2B brand mm-hmm. so we looked at a lot of B2B brands that we all use and love but they're all quite boring the brands are quite dull so we were like we really wanted like a fun brand that we could be cheeky with we were googling like loud things because we were like the idea of trumpet is you make noise in your prospects inbox or their LinkedIn you know or you're blowing your own trumpet you're making the idea is like 
yeah. making noise. I, I love the idea of bringing that sort of like B to C delight mm-hmm. to the sales and B to B, which is quite you know generally a melancholic and stoic environment. Yeah, uh, and I can see that being like you know a word of mouth play as well because there's so many different like riffs you could do with it, like blow your own trumpet, use our service. Oh, it's funny like, on LinkedIn. Stand out <laughs> on LinkedIn, he's been quite funny. I've actually you've given we, me a few giggles. We've got like what have we got? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Join the best in brass. Oh, there yeah, you yeah. go. That's a good one. There yeah. you go. Yeah. And we talked to like our FAQs is our bandstand. And, oh, and okay, everyone yeah. is like everyone that joins it is like a trumpeteer and like come and join our band oh you got the cheeky side so right? yeah. it's <laughs> we do like a lot of that and it, and yeah it's really resonating luckily at the moment like the, the brand itself is getting mm. recognition you know like we made these t-shirts and when we started onboarding everyone slowly and had some like really key users we sent out the t-shirts with a mm. personalized note mm. and like people have just been posting about it like it's a B2C brand right, like all over LinkedIn so yeah Hopefully, like that sort of B two C brand element yeah. is is starting to filter out, and we, and we need to keep going on that. So, yeah. like when we will be hiring a head of marketing soon, and it's not just going to be a B two B remit. It's like how can we keep that flair going? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's epic. How has your friend circle evolved, like recently and over the last few years? Because you know you're growing really quickly, and um, you know your friend circle normally evolves with your growth, right? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So, I think my core friends i have kept since uh school and university and and it, it, it's it's a high achieving group and so yeah i've got my core university group i've got uh, three or four friends still from school um that we're still super tight and you know they're the, so important to me that i think when we go out for dinner it i it's the most natural i ever feel uh, and uh, to be honest i thought that that was my lot and i was happy with that but I think especially since exiting, I've met people, you know, like yourself and sort of other founders, maybe not as successful as yourself, but on the journey that maybe have asked for my help, but I've just like clicked with. It starts as a different relationship. Um, and, and I do love talking about business and investing and stuff. So actually when I go out with them for drinks or whatever, Yes, we delve, you know, we go into the more personal stuff, but we're also talking about business a lot. Mm. But I actually really thrive off that. Mm. And I actually really enjoy that because with sort of my uni and school friends, it's more of just like, oh, how's Trumpet going? But not knowing like the underneath. And I love quizzing them on like what they're up to, what can I learn from them and, you know, digging into what they're up to. So it's sort of a different friendship. But then some of those have evolved into... You know, I class them as good friends now. That, that is an important part of, of the happiness part is um, finding people that you can bounce off with in different aspects of your life. Yeah. You know, finding that sort of icky guy, sorry to go back to that, um, and that purpose piece, did you find certain materials or certain books or things that you explored during that period of time to sort of solidify what actually made you happy and what makes you happy now? I think I'm like pretty thoughtful, I'd call myself spiritual, not religious at all, but Mm. spiritual, yes. Um, I question things a lot, but I don't actually delve deep in a reading or podcast point of view on on like self-help stuff, Uh rightly or wrongly. It's not rocket science to know if you are truly happy or not. And I don't think it's rocket science to find out what makes you happy. I think you just need to question that. Yeah. And that's what I never did in my Design My Night days. So I feel like if I, go, you know, for me, I know it's about 
finding peace and I like I like my lone time as well mm. so it's like where can I find that peace and tranquility where can I look after my health um where can I spend time with my friends and loved ones and I and for me that's as deep as it needs to get but it's just making sure I I take the time to do all of those things yeah well it's funny you say that because a lot of people look externally for the answers and they go down those self-help rabbit holes but the irony is the answer is in is in yourself yeah and so it's almost like you've skipped that sort of process bit there and you've gone right to the answer yeah by just listening to yourself and figuring it out and and you might then discover yoga or meditation or retreats or gym and exercise and whatever but I think everyone needs stillness and calm in their life. I think everyone needs love in their life wherever that comes from. Um and everyone needs purpose in their life. So I think if you just question yourself, how do I get those three things? And it is constantly evolving, of mm. course. Then I feel like that puts you on quite a good and look, you've also then got to accept that life is shit. <laughs> life is hard. I don't know life is hard. Like you're not always going to be happy, you're not always going to be content, you're not always going to be not stressed. Like shit does happen in life no matter whether you're rich or not or successful or not. So I think it's just accepting that as well. Yeah. And then just being able to like bounce back when that shit happens as well. Yeah. Totally. Really appreciate you being part of this and you're a good friend so thanks a lot for hanging out with us and hopefully he'll buy some trumpet from you. Yeah. And, yeah, um, we'll do so that. that, that I'll, I'll send you a sales sure. pitch. And, uh, <laughs> we'll get some t-shirts, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> only if you post about it. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Before you go, I've made something for you. It's an ebook on five crucial lessons from creating startups worth $500 million and it's just for the listeners of this podcast. Download it for free on our website happymillionaire.club. The links are in the show notes. <laughs>